This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, welcome back to Vancouver Consumer here on CKNW. Sterling Fox with you. In just a few moments, we'll have our second Canada Day weekend treat. Hockey Hall of Fame broadcaster Jim Robson will take your calls and share some stories and maybe even a prediction or two for the hockey season ahead. But first, here are some more of the week's top consumer stories we're following. The news story we're waiting for from the Bank of Canada won't actually be available for another few days as July 11th is the next date our central bank can raise Canadian interest rates, but the bank did release its quarterly survey of Canadian business this week, and it shows a lot of optimism as sales outlooks are positive based on increasing foreign and local demand. The bank goes on to identify this as the highest since 2011, but cautions the survey was taken before the states announced steel tariffs and others, and of course the retaliatory moves from our government. Businesses which deal with primarily foreign customers Customers reported feeling more optimistic than those deals with dealing rather with locals only. But all the 100 big companies surveyed say they're very concerned about the economy in the face of a trade war environment. And labor shortages are a problem here in BC and in central Canada. With all the worries over our economic future with the cross-border trade actions, it has become a little less of a sure thing. Interest rates will go up in a few days. But I still wouldn't bet too much against a rate hike. Word from Boeing this week. They're working on a new jet passenger plane that will reduce the traveling time from New York to London to two hours. Many of us remember the day the Concorde visited Vancouver back in 1990, and that aircraft was capable of making that same transatlantic trip in four hours. Just for the record, a typical commercial flight from New York to London nowadays takes about six to seven hours. While that Concorde was supersonic, this new plane will be hypersonic, flying at Mach 5, up to five times the speed of sound, whereas the Concorde flew at Mach 2. So, when can we expect this? Well, not any time soon, says Boeing. Could be up to 20 years, but it takes both time and planning, and they're already on it. Tesla founder Elon Musk, perhaps in an attempt to divert attention away from production problems of his own, called the Ford Motor Company a morgue this week. Not to be outdone, Ford chairman Bill Ford said Musk is in the process of discovering building cars is a lot more complicated than he expected. We reported here a few weeks ago that Ford will scale back car production in favor of light trucks and SUVs rather in the future, but Ford will still continue to develop electric and self-driving cars to compete against Tesla. Musk is having real delivery problems with the new less expensive Tesla Model 3 missing internal targets and customers looking to buy the cars now must wait until at least the end of this year. And a new survey by Porch, which is a website that connects homeowners and professional contractors, says the most irritating neighbors 
are the nosy ones. You know, the ones who are always just a little too far into your business. Of course, you know, we all have at least one. Also high on the annoyance list are neighbors who are too loud, who don't clean up after their pets. Those who park in someone else's designated spot, this makes me personally extremely crazy, or who leave their kids unsupervised. Other neighbors who drive us crazy include those who leave notes instead of having a face-to-face conversation. People who call the police on another neighbor. People who insist on walking around in various degrees of undress. And Jim Robson has a story about that in a minute. And those who bring in trees or other landscaping that block their neighbor's views. Boomers are also more likely to get into fights with their neighbors than Gen Xers or Millennials. Yes, Get off my lawn! Still happens. Perhaps because most of us don't know many of our neighbors. Another finding from the survey. Jim Robson and all things hockey. A Canada Day long weekend special from us at Vancouver Consumer. Coming right up after this. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon, right smack in the middle of the Canada Day long weekend. Lots of activities planned. Of course, CKNW and Global TV will be down there at all the festivities beginning tomorrow morning. This program's producer, Ben Dooley, will be in charge, so you know it's going to be a fun show on the radio and on TV. Speaking of fun on the radio, I don't think it gets any better for a guy like me than to be able to introduce my next guest this afternoon. This is our treat on Canada Day long weekend. We're not selling anything today. We're having a little fun and from the hockey hall of fame and the hearts of vancouver canuck fans everywhere a real pleasure to welcome back to the airwaves of cknw the one and only jim robson how you doing jim just fine sterling and i am not selling anything <laughs> glad to hear that and i was just talking about an, an annoying neighbors uh, some of whom uh, have this sort of penchant for walking around in various states of undress and the reason i mentioned jim was going to have something to say about it friends is because as he arrived at our building downtown vancouver at your in Granville, the naked bicycle ride went by, and you just got just about got knocked over by a, a naked guy on a bicycle, Jim. Right on a in Saturday front afternoon, the entrance to your building, a guy going up the sidewalk, filled with tourists, mm-hmm. nude from the waist down, oh, riding boy. his bicycle, and I say, boy, I'm getting to be an old grouch. <laughs> I don't get it. But anyway, that's how I started my entrance into your building. And, and how, do, how did the tourists take it? By oh, the I don't know. I, I guess some were taking pictures with their iPhones. I don't know. Well, you made it in, and I'm very glad about that. I so, am, too. here we are uh, in the off-season again. Uh, now, this is the, how many years? 29 years uh, broadcasting the Vancouver Canucks games? Well, well, I get asked this, and I say, well, look, if you want to include the minor leagues... I did my first pro hockey broadcast in 1956. Wow. So, but I didn't do a lot of games in the 50s. Bill Stevenson was the voice of the Western League Canucks at that time. He the was Western fantastic. League at that time was pro. It wasn't a junior league as it is now. And then he left in 1960 to move to CFRB Toronto. In Toronto. And then I moved into his chair in 1960. So I did the minor league Canucks until the NHL arrived in 1970. But as far as the Canucks were concerned, I guess it was 29 seasons with the NHL Canucks from 1970 to 99. Wow, fantastic. Bill Stevenson was a great guy. I grew up in Toronto listening to him read the sports every day at noon, and his sign-off line was always the same. This is Bill Stevenson with a reminder that you don't have to play a sport to be a good one. 
And that was every day, and I just loved it. It's stuck in my mind as fresh as I just heard it yesterday. Well, Dennis Kearns, ex-Canuck player, says that to me every time he sees me. So now I know where he got it. Ah, okay. So do you keep in touch with the organization? I know you're there at all the games, of course. You're still a a fan and still a a critic and and all the rest of it. But do you have a function at all within the organization at all, Jim? Nothing official, but I do attend uh, various events with the uh, Canuck alumni. And so I keep in touch with them. And on Wednesday of this past week, I played golf at UBC for the, in the, an event, which was the UBC Hockey Alumni event, which is a lot of fun with the current Thunderbird hockey team, which is underappreciated in this area. Mm-hmm. And uh, the UBC Hockey Alumni and some of the Canuck alumni that were also there. So it was a, it was a fun day. So I do uh, things like that and some things with the alumni. And once in a while... And do something uh, that the Canucks ask me to do. They provide me with two tickets for every game, great seats, and I also have parking privileges, which is a real bonus. You are a lucky guy. So uh, I figure that uh, if they ask me to do something once in a while, I should say yes. You just made an interesting observation. I was looking at it. I've got some notes. I called my son Adam today, and I said, okay, I got Jim Robson on this afternoon. Tell me what I need to know to have a decent conversation about the Canucks. So I have I have a list of names here. But, you know, some of these draft picks, and he was giving me names like uh, uh, Jet Wu and uh, Cole uh, Lind and uh, Jonas Gadjevich and so on. Some of these players are going to be in town for the development uh, up at Worcester for the next few days, and then they'll play at Rogers uh, next Saturday. Uh, uh, just, just, no, it's Thursday, Oh, I Thursday, believe. okay. Right. So it's a show, a game, it's a little bonding it's experience for the young guys. But some of these graduates, uh, Adam's point was, they're going to go, they're going to disappear. They're going to go back to U.S. college hockey. You pointed out that you think UBC's hockey team, the T-Birds, are underappreciated in this region. I agree. How do we get Canadian university and college hockey elevated in terms of our awareness and our ability to appreciate it as well as it has in the States? I don't think it'll ever happen in Canadian college hockey. Uh, There's been a few go out of Canadian college hockey to wind up playing in the NHL, but uh, almost all of the UBC Thunderbirds have played four years of junior hockey. They've gone through the Western Hockey League. Uh, which now has a program that a WHL player gets uh, tuition for a year if he plays for a year. So uh, most of the uh, UBC, and uh, same with all the Western University players, are guys who played four years of junior. They're in their 20s, 22, 23 years old, so they are a higher caliber than the Western Junior League. I mean, you know, the Vancouver Giants, uh, when they're played at the Pacific Coliseum, would be drawing seven or 8,000. Right. You go to a game at UBC in that wonderful rink they have there now, and you'll be 250 people in the stands. There's 50,000 students at UBC, and they can't get 500 to a hockey game, except one game a year when they have a special promotion and, uh, and they fill the rink. But it's very good hockey, but... Everyone understands in that system they're not going into professional hockey. Some might wind up playing in Europe maybe or someplace, but most of them, they're getting a university degree, Mm -hmm. and that's the key. And they're playing hockey because they love to play it, and they play it well. But as far as in the pro hockey picture, I don't think... uh, They've sort of abandoned that and they've moved on. I think most of them have moved on. Some of them were even drafted, but not too many. 
I know my, my, my pal John McComb called you up uh, to have some comments and thoughts about this. I, I, you have a few more minutes now. I, your thoughts on Henrik and Daniel Sedin. We asked you a few weeks ago when they announced their retirement, and you had a few minutes. Tell us more about your impressions of those lads. You were around when they arrived. Uh, fresh-faced kids from Sweden. Berkey pulled every string in the book to get them drafted back-to-back, and they spent 16 incredible years in Vancouver. Well, actually. Actually, 17 playing and 18 if you count the, from the draft year. But everything you think of, say about the Sedins is positive. Amazing personalities, wonderful people. Never had enough depth in the organization to help them out. No kidding. Not enough uh, grit in the lineup to protect them. Uh, many, many years the way teams could beat the Vancouver Canucks was stop the Sedins. Sure. Uh, the year they had some depth at center ice was they went to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Ryan Kessler was the second center and scored 41 goals. Mm-hmm. So when you played the Canucks, you had to be aware of another line that was going to score. But many years they played without much depth at center ice in particular, and uh, but they soldiered on, never retaliated, took a beating night after night, always faced the other team's best defenders and uh, held their head up high and their quality people. In fact, we've had a lot of quality Swedish players in Vancouver, right from the Thomas Gradine and Patrick Sundstrom and the best defenseman the Canucks have ever had, Matthias Oland. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've been a wonderful group of citizens. And the Sedins... uh, the last I spoke to them, and others have heard the same thing, they, they're probably back in Sweden now for the next couple of months, but they're coming back to Vancouver. Kids going to school in, in Vancouver in the yeah, fall. And uh, Daniel even coached his daughter's soccer team last year. So they are wonderful citizens and great hockey players. Underappreciated again. And finally, we're fully appreciated here their last week. And even they handled that with a lot of class, saying just 10 days before the end of the year, this is the end, instead of a whole year of farewells and everything. They did it right, and the team uh, went along with that. And uh, that last week when they played here, and even their last game in Edmonton, was something special to see the opposing players who had pounded them around waiting on the ice at the end of the game to shake their hands That's and right. uh, finally getting some uh, recognition. Uh, they've had some recognition, but not nearly as much as they deserve. And they got a little bit more at the NHL Awards this year. Yes, as they, they, uh, and I was happy to see them win that award for what they've done in the community. And uh, I think that was a no-brainer. And, and to have them as twins get up and receive that award was uh, special. You mentioned, Jim, and, and I couldn't agree with you more, uh, that Vancouver didn't protect them very well. They didn't have any, they didn't have a, a as Gretzky had, he had a Semenko, and, you know, there's always a, the enforcer close by. Mind you, you had to cr- catch Gretzky before you could do anything to him. That was a tough, but you, if you did, then you were, there was going to be some reckoning to deal with. We are not a team uh, and haven't been for a long time that people, oh, we got to go to Vancouver next. Uh, gee, that's not going to be any fun. We haven't had that reputation, if ever, uh, certainly for a long time. No, you're right about that. All of the game has changed true, a lot. True, You don't necessarily need what you might call a knuckle-dragger who just fought and didn't true. play. But a good example was this year's Stanley Cup final. 
Wilson, who played for Washington, ran everybody in sight Mm -hmm. and went over the line sometimes with his aggressive play and even was suspended at times. He played on the line with Ovechkin and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the Russians. Backstrom? No, Backstrom was the other side. Oh, the other, right, right. Uh, But he played on what was their first line. And Mm -hmm. he was a kind of a player Vancouver doesn't have. Some other teams don't have either. But I think you need some of that in the lineup. When the opposing team would come into Vancouver, the last couple of years especially, uh, if they had a tough guy in their roster, they didn't bother dressing him because he had nobody to fight. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not promoting the fighting. Right. I mean, people say, oh, fights every game. People who don't follow hockey or knock it say, oh, it's all fight. Well, I can go to seven or eight games in a row and not see a fight. Sure. So that part of it's improved a great deal. They really have changed the game a lot. Uh, the so-called tough guy has to be able to skate, has to be able to play. The speed of the game is amazing. Mm-hmm. I had a good visit with uh, Jim Hewson, who is the best hockey announcer of all time. Well, and, uh, that's high he did the, Yes, and he did the Stanley Cup playoffs and, of course, the final. And he told me the final was the toughest play-by-play he'd ever had to do Why? because of the speed of the game. Wow. You had to concentrate so much on the puck, you couldn't finish your thoughts sometimes before something else happened happened and you couldn't leave the the action you had to make sure you stayed with the play because things happen so quickly and that's the way the game is now so i don't think you want a player that can't skate well enough to keep up can't play well enough to stay in the lineup but i would like to see them have a couple of guys in the lineup that would uh, keep the other teams honest. Exactly. I uh, wanted to a- ask you about, uh, you were talking about Jim Hewson, a, a friend of ours, uh, and, and of course from uh, Port Alberni was where it all started Ooh, for him. No, no, no. No, that's, no he started in uh, Fort St. John. Oh, that's he right. He played uh, for the St. John Golden Hawks Junior B hockey team, and uh, he also worked in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he did go to Port Alberni, not as a worker. He, go, he used to spend his vacation time canoeing in Barclay Sound. Ah. But, uh, no, I started in Port Alberni. Okay, I had Bill it mixed Stevenson up. Bill Stevenson started in Port Alberni. Right. A lot of guys, Jack Cullen worked in Port Alberni, I think. But, uh, but Jim started, I think, in Fort St. John. When you were growing up listening to the radio and hockey broadcasters, I grew up in Toronto, so we had Foster Hewitt, of course, and that would be on the national network. Yep. I hear today's hockey broadcasters, I hear moments of tr- of of tribute. Paul Romanuk, for example, works on TSN and does a lot of hockey. Not one of my favorites. But he he, he uses a line that Danny Gallivan used to use. Yeah, he misses a pass and he failed to negotiate contact. Yeah. Those little those little gems that, that the, the broadcasters yeah, of yesteryear. Yeah, were gems when Danny said them. That's but right. But they're scripted when Romanuk says them. So what, uh, <laughs> did you have a hero or a person that well, as a broadcaster you tried to sort of pattern after? Yeah, well I listened to them all and of course as a very young child at six years of age, I wanted to be a hockey announcer. Good for you. Listening to Foster Hewitt mm-hmm. in northern Saskatchewan and Saturday night, you always got the Leaf broadcast. I didn't like the Leafs, but I listened to Foster. But the broadcasters in those days, it was different. The no helmets, only six teams, mm-hmm. very little travel. It was a lot different than today. Today, you have 31 teams, some you only see once or twice a year. Yeah. It's a lot tougher, faster, a different job today. And uh, in in the early years, no television even, Mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, well, Danny Gallivan is a wonderful person, a great guy, uh, and and the most popular and the most loved announcer. I always say to people, Foster Hill was recognized as the first. Mm -hmm. 
although he didn't do the very first play-by-play, but he was one of the first, and certainly the first nationally. Danny Gallivan was the most loved. Bob Cole is the best voice, Hmm. but to me, I think he only seems to know 25% of the players. Jim Hewson is the best all-round broadcaster. It's just changed so much. But as far as growing up, I listened to, you know, out here, it was, oh, way back, it was uh, Duke McLeod, Warren Johnson, and then Jim Cox for many years. Right. And uh, so, you know, you listen to them all, and I was influenced in baseball. I did 12 years of baseball by an announcer in Seattle, and uh, I used to listen to him all the time, and so... You got, you are influenced by other broadcasters, but basically, you just describe what happens. I think that's the most important thing. So, what do you? Uh, how do you react when you hear uh, you're w- watching a broadcast and you, you hear someone do a Jim Robson, a special shout out, a salute to our hospital patients and shut-ins and those who can't get out to NHL games? I don't so think you, you hear that. You used to do that every well, that game. Well, that was copied and stolen from an announcer at CKWX. The name is Cal George. Cal did an afternoon program with Nina Anthony, neighbor Nina, and uh, at the end of his show, he would say that. Oh, and okay. got a lot of response. Right. So when I started, I guess it would have been when Bill left uh, in about 1960, I started saying hello to the hospital patients and shut-ins on baseball, on football, and hockey, and we got a lot of response. Enormous. Uh, mail in Braille, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, so and people would say Hawking and Candace said, "Oh, don't do that. You can't do that. You will get all kinds of calls." I said, "No. If I say hello to Uncle Harry in the Moostow General Hospital, now you got a problem, right? Because there's a lot of Uncle Harrys out but there. But everybody, in but the if hospital. you just say generally." then they understand and uh, they appreciate it. Let me take a break for the news. Okay, I've had my turn. Now it's yours. Let's open up the phone lines here, Andrew. 604-280-9898. Jim Robson from the Hockey Hall of Fame, live on CKNW with your calls after the news. Welcome back to the program. Sterling Fox with you on this cloudy Saturday afternoon. Still not raining, at least downtown, and that's that's always a good thing. In studio, across the desk from me, is Jim Robson from the Hockey Hall of Fame and all those years of broadcasting Canucks games and, uh, well, other sports as well. We did open the phone lines. They remain open at 604-280-9898. As we move to your calls, we begin with Robin in Vancouver. Hello. Uh, Jim, yes. this is broadcast history now. But try to describe again for the old, the younger people, how you broadcast out-of-town baseball. You know, you're, the game is out of town. You're broadcasting right from a studio in Vancouver here. Well, Could you describe that one? And well, I'll hang up and listen. All, all right. right. Thanks. Thanks uh, for the call, Robin. That's great. Well, of all the things I did, that was probably the most unique. And this, the real key to the success was Ron Robinson, who is our operator, engineer, had all the sound effects recorded in the ballpark. Not People said, oh, yes, you made the sound of the ball being hit by a bat by knocking a block of wood with a pencil. We would never stoop to that. Every sound was authentic recorded in the ballpark. He had everything but a broken bat hit. He could never get that. <laughs> right. But uh, Ron was a genius. And uh, we would get, we'd work about a half an inning behind. You had what was called a teletype, feeding in the information from the ballpark in San Diego, Sacramento, wherever it was. Mm-hmm. And if the operator was good, most of them were, 
you would get in abbreviated form a description of what was happening. Like it would say, out, routine, short to first. And then when that came up, Ron had a copy of what I was um, working with. So I'd hold my hand in the air. One finger meant a fairly batted ball. Two meant a, a foul ball. Three meant a crowd reaction, like a stolen base or something. And then I would hold it up and drop it down. When my hand dropped down, he would bring in the sound. Oh, okay. And also he had a series of tapes with applause, boos, cheers. He could blend. He could use any way appropriate. He even had a public address system set up in the control in the. Uh, studio where I was, he would announce every batter as they came up. Wow. It would go through an echo machine mm -hmm. to make it sound. He would even find out if they played organ music between innings or whether what they did, so he would make it sound authentic. One guy called me one time and said, you guys are phonies. You have the same PA announcer in every part. <laughs> it was Ron Robinson. Well, yeah. And uh, they, it was really well done. And... Uh, it wasn't always easy. One night in Salt Lake City, we got an inning with only two outs in it. One of those wild high-scoring innings was six or seven runs. Mel Lehan, active in Vancouver politics, was our runner, about a 15-year-old boy from Kitsilana High School. He went to the teletype machine and said, where's the third out? And the guy said, I gave it to you. And uh, we couldn't find it. And then Ron Robinson, who had a short fuse, left the control panel, went around and chewed the guy out on the teletype. And the guy said, it's the fifth inning. Do you want me to go home now? And I gave it to you. Well, we couldn't find the third out. Now, in baseball, if you put in another batter, you've ruined the batting order for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. You get the wrong guy hitting a home run. You get the wrong guy striking out. You might, the batting order is important. Sure. So... If you do that, you, how are you going to get out of this? Ron says, we'll pick a guy off. So there were two runners on base. We picked the guy off first base. Didn't change the batting order. Right. Didn't change the scoring. But we don't know to this day how the third out occurred. Isn't that something? I, I remember hearing that, that style of broadcasting. Ronald Reagan, whose nickname used yes. to be Dutch, was a sportscaster when he first started out yes. before he went to Hollywood. And he used to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, no one does it anymore with today's technology. But uh, there were keys to it. But Ron Robinson was the major key on our side of it. And talk about theater of the mind. That's uh, right. The, the classic definition of radio. Brian and North Van, good afternoon. Hi, boys. How you doing? Great, thanks. Uh, Jim, um, I remember when I was about 11 years old. I'm 65 now. Um, when you guys were on Bard Street, uh, my, my parents brought me through CKWX, and I think you were doing the teletype at that time, and that was yep. kind of cool. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then the other one... Um, <laughs> I'll never forget was when I was about 14 when the Canucks and the Buckaroos were having it out. And I'll never forget when uh, Mark Realm scored that goal. And, and you were on the radio the next day and they were playing your, and this is how it ended. <laughs> you know, that was cool. Well, Mark would... was a good defenseman with the Canucks of the late 60s. They uh, really padded up the Vancouver lineup because they thought they were going to the NHL with that group. And uh, so they had very good teams in the late 60s, and Mark Riom did score an overtime winner against Portland. 
Let's talk about the Canucks of today. Uh, 604-280-9898 if you want to jump in. And while we do uh, get you on the board, uh, let's talk about Because I, I mentioned something during the very brief news break a few moments ago. And Jim kind of gave me a bit of a reaction here. He said, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there about what the Canucks organization is doing with respect to getting back on track and recovering their winning ways. Because I, I made some kind of flippant remark about how easy tickets were to get and all that kind of stuff. And Jim said, no. It's, I mean, there you can buy a, a Craigslist Canucks ticket for less than the face value of it. You could do that uh, for the last couple of seasons without too much difficulty. But you're seeing a, a kind of a revival in terms of fan interest. And this is Vancouver Consumer, Jim. So talk to us from a consumer point of view what there is to be interested in with the Canucks this year since they're still kind of flailing around in the standings. Well, talking about who's in the stands, the critics who say, oh, the Canucks aren't getting sellouts or not, they're not getting sellouts. Right. But most of the seats are occupied. I go to Pritner every game. Mm-hmm. And where I sit, the people around me are different at every game. They're young. They're families. They can get the tickets a lot cheaper than sure. they used to. They're wearing Canucks sweaters. They're enthusiastic. They don't boo the Canucks off the ice when they lose by four goals or something. Mm. They're fans. They want them badly to win, but they're loyal. And it's like a revolution in the rink. They're having a good time. They sing. They ha- they do the wave. They right. have a lot of fun in the rink. And it's a good atmosphere. I don't know how long this will go on if the team doesn't show more success on the ice. And that could take some more time yet. But uh, when I tell people that are critical of this empty seat talk, there are some empty seats, but most of them are occupied and most of them are new fans. So they have a terrific following. And it's a lot of fun to go to the games. Right. Now, the talk, the Canucks talk for the last couple of years has been about rebuilding. And now, right. of course, with the Sedins gone, uh, you, you really know that there's, it's a new era altogether. Right. So uh, as far as rebuilding, you've got to put these pieces of the puzzle together. And it takes a few draft years and, and a little bit of luck, always. How do you think their assembling uh, a winning team process is working so far? Well, it's early to judge. Uh the draft of 2015 was good. No player from 2016 draft has stepped up yet. Mm. Well, you Levy, who disappointed, uh, was a disappointing pick to a lot of us uh, when they passed up on Matthew Kachuk. At, and, and this isn't hindsight. A lot of people, the day of the draft, s- sort of thought they would take a player ready to play right now. You bet. And you Levy still hasn't played a minute in the NHL. He's coming off back surgery mm-hmm. in Finland. We don't know if he's going to be an NHL player. Uh, but then the 2017 draft looks very good. So, And we don't know yet about 2018. So I think their drafting has been has improved. In the Mike Gillis era, Mike kept making deals at the deadline to get a player or two, he thought, to get them over the hump to win the Stanley Cup. So they traded away draft picks. In one season, I can't remember the year, about 2010, they did not have a first-round pick, did not have a second-round pick, did not have a third-round pick. Wow. Their first pick was a fourth-rounder. You can't build an, an organization or depth uh, without doing it through the draft. The uh, Chicago Blackhawks missed the playoffs five years in a row, then went on to build and win three Stanley Cups. Yes. The Los Angeles Kings missed the playoffs five years in a row, went on to build a team that won two Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Washington is different. Uh, they have been in the playoffs for many years and didn't get past the first round most of the time. Right. But many of the Stanley Cup winners in recent years have built through the draft, and that's the way you have to do it. So that puts pressure on your drafting. And in defense of Mike Gillis, a lot of those years, the Canucks were high in the standings. So their first draft pick was way down in the draft rather than one of the top 10 picks or one of the top five picks. So uh, when you're drafting 28th or something, it's pretty hard to come up with those blue chippers. But uh, that is where the key is, is in the drafting. And that's where the patience comes in. And uh, you just hope that it's working. But it's still going to be a while away, I think. One thing that I noticed that was different last season was that there seemed to be more effort. There seemed, even if they lost almost as many games as the season before, they put on, A, a much better show. And it is the entertainment dollar the Canucks are competing for. So the show, the and, and as you say, the buzz in the room, there's a, a nice energy back at Rogers Arena now. But I found that last season they, they, they worked harder and they were more fun to well, watch. Well, we're not going to agree here. Okay. I, I admire hockey players a great deal of all pro athletes. So many... I admire all outstanding athletes in all sports, but in hockey, you have to have an extra skill. You must be a great skater Mm -hmm. to even play in the game, and a lot of the critics can't stand up on skates. But hockey players work hard. I think there's an effort from every hockey player, and I think the efforts are always there. They all want to win. They all work hard. They, They play with tremendous courage. Courage character, skill. It's an amazing group of athletes. And I, I don't see many nights when I don't think there's try. Mm-hmm. Some people, there's a level of try, I guess. You could try harder or more, uh, but things happen during a game that can deflate a team sure. or turn a game, uh, maybe a soft goal against or something like that. So, But I really think the effort's there. And you have to combine those things, effort, skill, some grit, uh, but they have to have all these combinations. And But hockey players as a group uh, always work hard and never want to lose. Okay, so you, you would disagree that I noticed more than uh, yeah, the previous year? Yeah, I don't year. think, you I think, think the year before that. Look at last season. Okay. In, uh, what, late November, they were winning. They mm-hmm. had yeah, an a excellent bit of a tear, start, weren't they? Yeah. but they lost... Sutter and Horvath, Mm -hmm. both for a quarter of a season, both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Two key center icemen. So then things started to go south. Prior to that, they were competitive. They uh, were in a lot of games, even uh, some that they lost. They were, uh, especially on the road, they were surprised when they went into places and won in Pittsburgh. And they went into Calgary, went in, in a slump and won against a good Calgary team that should have made the playoffs last year. Yeah. Uh, so the effort was there, but their lack of depth uh, came back to haunt them when they lose a couple of key players. And, of course, Tanif, their best defenseman, was injured a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. You lose guys like that when you're not uh, a deep team, and it really shows. Absolutely. How about Trevor Linden? How, what kind of job do you think he's doing as the Brendan Shanahan of Vancouver? Well, you have to wait again for Trevor. I uh, I talked to Trevor once in a while. I'd like him. He's a wonderful he's guy. He's a likable guy. Uh, he is, and he was a terrific player. And uh, I hope for him that there is success, but he's realistic. 
He knows uh, the owners have to be patient, and we'll see how patient they are. Uh, so we'll have to see if the uh, Linden-Benning combination is successful. How, if, does, how does that work? I mean, a, a lot of us sit on the outside, and you know, we see Jim Benning at the draft table with Trevor and so on. Who's actually in charge of the team? That, well, in charge of the draft is always a question. You, who made the pick? Was it the general manager? Was it one of his associates, scouts his assistant? Yeah, yeah. Was it a, a chief scout? Mm-hmm. Was it a secondary scout? Did the scouts ignored or were they listened to? You never know who really made the decision at the draft table. Mm-hmm. They always say it's a team decision. Of course, of yeah. course. And uh, so you don't know. But uh, Jim Benning has a, a reputation of knowing how to draft. His father was a longtime scout with the Montreal Canadiens. I think his drafting, I think by my rough calculations, he's had eight good draft picks since he's taken over. Whether or not they're going to develop into a Besser, of course, has come along as a very good one. You bet. Uh, But there's others that we're thinking are going to be good NHL players. So you have to wait and see. But I have an analysis of all the Canuck general managers that I've gone through. And this is only my opinion, but I think Jake Milford was the best general manager for drafting players by the Vancouver Canucks. Interesting. The Canucks have had a, a limited success in the, in the draft uh, for a variety of reasons, maybe. But uh, Jake, in his five years, uh, I figured drafted 22 players that were National League players. And, That's a pretty know, good uh, Pat, record. Patrick Sundstrom was a ninth-round draft pick. You know, Doug Lidster was a seventh-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. So that's where you used to get the gems. But it's tougher now with more teams and uh, a lot of players coming out of college. Mr. Milford told me one time, the day will come when there will be more Americans in the NHL than Canadians. Mm-hmm. And he might be right. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the draft picks you saw were Americans. And the high draft picks, a lot of them are Americans. Uh, this year's draft was in Dallas. There are 16 hockey rinks in Dallas, Texas. In the and whole city. Going, in the city. And there's going to be hockey players coming out of Texas. Yeah. There's already some, and there's going to be more. When the New Jersey Devils, an up-and-coming team, played in Vancouver, there were 14 Americans on their roster this year. So that's happening in hockey. And, uh, but drafting is so important, and building is difficult. So, uh, only a couple of minutes left uh, as we look ahead to the season, and uh, uh, we have uh, we've, we've got uh, pretty much everybody healthy. Some people recovering from off-season surgery, expected to be fine by the start of the season. Are you optimistic going into the eighteen nineteen season this year? Uh, again, uh, we may not make the playoffs, but uh, will as a fan base. Uh, you already suggest it's pretty fun to go to Canucks games. Not that it's ever been dreary, but some years are more fun than others. Is this going to be a fun year? Oh, I think so because of the youth uh, and the people watching these young players and hoping for their improvement. But I, it's hard to see this group making the Stanley Cup playoffs. 16 right. teams out of 31 make it, and there are a lot of good teams that miss the playoffs. Sure. And this year's an example, Edmonton and Calgary. Boy, I thought for sure they'd be in the playoffs. So it's very competitive, extremely difficult to make the playoffs, and I don't think this team is capable yet of being in the playoffs. But if if they start off this season like they started off last season, it'll still be interesting enough to have some uh, confidence in the future. But 
it could be a ways down the road. Interesting stuff. Jim, we're fresh out of time. I am grateful for yours this long weekend to give up a little bit of your, your uh, weekend off to join us here back at CKNW. It's been a while. And uh, thanks very much, and happy Canada Day to you a few hours in advance. Wave that flag. All right. Jim Robson, friends, and thanks for your calls. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Jim Robson for joining us in this holiday weekend. And thanks for your calls, To What a fun hour. Really interesting to look at the game of hockey from a consumer perspective as the competition for the entertainment dollar stays pretty tight. Next week, we'll have visits from Marty Charich at Broadway Jewelers and we'll get a fresh market real estate update from John Carlson at 1% Realty. Time now for Dooley Noted. And this time, our producer Ben Dooley takes a look at how one BC restaurant says the new tariff are going to affect business. Thanks, Sterling. With the trade war between Canada and the United States heating up, one BC business says restaurants are already feeling the squeeze. Canada has announced $16.6 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs against the U.S. on dozens of products in response to President Donald Trump's tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum. President and co-owner of Sea Lovers Fish and Chips, Brad McLeod, since his company got a letter from PepsiCo Canada on Friday, warning that prices would rise as of June 30th. The tariffs go into effect on July 1st. McLeod says it's a lose-lose situation for people north of the border. We're going to have to make decisions on products if we can source them locally, uh, Canadian products, or or increase prices. There's no two ways about it. The Canadian tariffs add 25% to steel products and 10% to other products. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we have to go. TransLink released new ridership information this week, just days ahead of its latest fare increase. The 2017 Transit Network Performance Review shows which SkyTrain stations and bus lines are the busiest, and the winners are Waterfront for SkyTrain and the 99B line for buses. Broadway Commercial and Burrard are the next busiest SkyTrain stations, and the number 25 Brent Station UBC and number 41 Joyce Collingwood UBC are the next busiest bus routes. By the way, the relatively small fare increase that begins tomorrow will help pay for improvement to our busiest routes, says TransLink. So now that we are reminded of what's hot, what's not? The least used bus route is the number 259 from Horseshoe Bay to Lions Bay, and the least used SkyTrain station is Sea Island Center, which serves mostly airport employees and long-term parking people. Interestingly, though, the YVR Airport SkyTrain station is up almost 10%, as more of us discover how incredibly convenient it is to take a train before or after we fly. I did that on Thursday night coming home from Toronto. It was so smooth, it was unbelievable. Really nice stuff. Good news from the Vancouver Park Board this week. The Park Board people, along with the Vancouver Lifeguard Association and the BC and Yukon Lifesaving Society, are once again bringing the Swim to Survive program to Vancouver City Kids. This practical drowning prevention program begins in a couple of weeks on July 18th at New Brighton Pool, which is off 
McGill Street down near the Ironworker Second Narrows Bridge and will be open to all kids aged 7 to 18. Now, it's only a two-hour program. It's not a swimming program. It's a drowning prevention program. They'll offer it three times a day depending on demand. And so far, over 3,000 kids have taken this course over the past four years, and it does teach basic safety techniques in and around water. Drowning is preventable. If this might work for your family, contact the Vancouver Park Board. And that is our show for this hour and for this weekend, this Canada Day weekend, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira handling the controls. We value your feedback. If you have any thoughts or ideas about our program, just send them along to sterling at cknw.com. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer, right here on 980 CKNW, and happy Canada Day. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.